So good to be with you all. Um, I have been looking forward to this, um, not, not just for a few months since getting to know you all, um, but really over the past uh, 14 years or so since I've been called to this work of ministry. Um, and so I'm just so excited to be able to enter into serving and ministering in this way uh, with you. So thank you. Um, as you've heard already a bit of, a lot has happened in my life since I was last here with you, uh, just at the end of June, uh, not very many months ago. Uh, since then, I've graduated from seminary. Um, Katie and I got engaged. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and some of you may have heard, but um, I'm, I'm starting a new job. Um, so, so there's quite a lot going on. Uh, and then currently, uh, Katie and I are in the midst of wedding planning um, and house searching. Um, and so there's a lot happening. It has been a season of wild transition, but uh, the blessing, redemption, and call of God has been upon all of it. Um, and so I'm so happy to be here um, with you all. Um, as I've been preparing for today and, and for this coming season of ministry, I've been spending a bit of time in First uh, and Second Timothy as well as Titus. Um, and these uh, books of the Bible are traditionally called the pastoral letters uh, because they're letters that Paul wrote to colleagues of his who were tasked with pastoring churches. Um, and they're filled with all kinds of practical instructions for Timothy and Titus as they're charged with leading congregations in the way of Christ. Uh, and they focus a great deal on the life of the church. And so I have been reading these and trying to soak them up, uh, asking God to impart some bit of that practical wisdom to me uh, as I seek to do the very same thing here uh, in, in this church so over the next few weeks, I kind of want to focus our sermon time here on what it means to be the church, uh, to help cast a shared vision of this life of ministry that we're entering into together. And this morning, I want to begin with a passage from one of these pastoral letters. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Um, although I, I heard about last week, you can't always count on the screen. Um, and so I encourage you, if you have a Bible, open it up, um, because this, this will be here as I read it. But I'd love for you to be able to keep referencing it so you know I'm not making anything up. I'm not doing anything. Like, th this is the Word of God. Um, and so let's hear Paul's words to Timothy together, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Train yourself in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, 
especially of those who believe. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love and faith and purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you through prophecy, with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we explore your word this morning, I ask that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've chosen this text um, because the, what Paul is writing to Timothy about in this is really what we've just done. Um, there were words exchanged, there were hands that were laid, there were prayers that were prayed. Um, and this is what Paul is reminding Timothy of. Um, and this is kind of what, what we've just done together. Uh, and, and a lot of this is directed towards Timothy. And so in some ways, as I preach through this passage, I am preaching to myself, and you all get to listen in. Um, but, but I believe it's also a word for all of us together here. Uh, so as we delve into the text, I want to center the conversation really around three promises that will sort of reiterate and sum up the commitments we've just made to one another. And as I talk through them, we'll, we'll walk through the passage together. So the first promise that, that I want to highlight to you is that as your minister, I will seek to point us to Jesus first and foremost. Paul begins this passage by saying, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, then you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. See, the goal is not to be just a good minister, someone with eloquent sermons, good PR, effective strategies or wise advice. Um, Rather, the goal is to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. You got to underline that. You can't just skip over that. Paul says that as a minister, uh, one of the things that I am to do is to put things before the brothers and sisters. Um, And the one who I hope to always put before us is Jesus. And this is possible because Jesus has already gone before us in everything that we do and say as a church. And that's really my hope for us as the church, is that we wouldn't just be a good church, a supportive community, an active presence in the neighborhood. These are good things, um, but they're not ultimately the goal. They're things that stream out from the goal, who is Jesus. And so I don't want us to just be a good church, but to truly be a church of Christ. That's in our name right? May that be true. 
And there are a couple of ways that Paul actually says we can do this. Um, The first is he says to be nourished on the words of faith and the sound teaching that you have followed. And then the second is having nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Um, And I just want to talk about each of these. So this first one, uh, to be nourished on the words of faith and the sound teaching that you have followed. What are the verbs in that phrase? Nourished and followed. I think these words highlight what it is that we actually do as the church, who it is we are meant to be as the church. They're words that have to do with life and living. Nourishment has to do with taking in food, nourishment, sustenance, um, and following has to do with, with how you are living your life. They're words that have to do with life and living, not just knowledge and knowing. Because it's true that, that we do have Bible studies, classes, that part of my role here is teaching, um, but ultimately, we're not a school. This is a church, and the church is the body of Christ, and bodies need nourishment. And so, when we study the words of faith, as Paul says here, we don't do that just to know them, but to be nourished by them. And as we experience that nourishment, I I believe that once we've encountered it, we will naturally begin to follow them. That's just what happens. Another thing about these two verbs, what tense are they in? Nourished and followed. Um, I don't have quite enough time to go into the nuances of of Greek grammar and such that underlie the the translation here, but what I can say is that ultimately both of them indicate something that has happened in the past and is still happening in the present. And this is one of the ways that, that I hope to be a minister among you, that my work among you should not just draw on education and experience that I've had in the past, you know, like a resume, Um, but rather the work that I do must rely on the ongoing present reality of Jesus Christ. Not a resume, but, but a relationship, right? Before I can even begin to try pointing us to Jesus, I have to be rooted in Jesus myself. Um, And so I'm going to seek to do this uh, by the grace of God who is faithful, um, just as we've said to one another. Another way that Paul says to do this is by having nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. And that's not just like a a, modern translation. That's actually what Paul said, which is kind of funny and a little weird. Um, But in our pursuit of faith... um, don't we have such a tendency to come up with some pretty convincing myths and tales? That we, we love to come up with rules that maybe aren't in the Bible, um, that we enforce as though our salvation depended on it. And that is precisely the kind of thing that Paul is warning against here. If you look at just the verses right before the ones that we read, he's talking about uh, things that are being forbidden and commanded that just aren't the gospel, that just aren't Jesus. Um, and, and so I'm sure that those rules were undoubtedly 
brought forth with the best of intentions, with the goal of living faithfully. But if you look at the end of chapter 1, Paul's talking about this as well, and he says that they actually make a shipwreck of faith. And so we need to avoid myths and tales um, and constantly be rooted in Christ. And the best way to avoid myths and tales is to just absolutely immerse ourselves in the nourishing words of Scripture and to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. And so this is my hope as we gather together each week, um, that we will read words of Scripture together and by the grace of God, that we'll encounter the good news of Jesus together. May we be a church who are nourished by words of faith and then follow them. As we live our lives of faith together, I, I hope that we are not just carrying around long religious resumes to show off, um, but rather just rejoicing in this relationship that we have with Jesus, which isn't our own doing either. Uh, it's, it's a gift of God purchased by the blood of Christ and sustained by the Spirit who's with us right now. And so I, as your minister, will always seek to point us to Jesus first and foremost. Jesus is why we're here. It's why we exist as a church. Uh, You know, looking at these banners, the reason why we crossed the street is because Jesus crossed the eternal street when he put on flesh and joined us. The reason why we partner for peace is because Jesus purchased peace by the blood of his cross. And the reason why we discover the kingdom is because Jesus is the king. And the more of the kingdom that we discover, the more we get to know him. So that's my first promise to you, my first hope for us. The second is that as your minister, I will seek to be myself with you. In the pastoral letters, Paul writes very personally to Timothy and to Titus. And it becomes really clear that pastoral work is not just functionary and professional, but very personal. In fact, you know, part of, if not most of, what a minister offers is themselves. And so, yes, I will seek to point us to Jesus first and foremost, but really the only way that I can do that is not just by talking about him, but by being myself in him. And that's my hope for all of us together. And I think that this is what Paul means in verse 12 when he writes to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love, in faith, in purity. My calling as your minister is not just to fulfill certain roles by teaching, by doing weddings and funerals, by doing church stuff. Um, My call is really to be myself with you. When Paul tells Timothy to set an example, I think he was telling Timothy to live in such a way that people could really know him. Not just his words, but him. So that people could see how he is with God, with himself, and with others, right? 
love, faith, purity. And so Paul actually says this more clearly a little bit later in verse 15 when he says, practice and devote yourself to these things so that all may see your progress. And just kind of as an aside, um, I do want to comment, I didn't choose this passage because it talks about being a young minister, although that certainly does help in my case. Um, Because part of being myself among you is admitting the reality that that I'm fairly young. Um, One of the commentaries that I read said that Timothy was probably somewhere between his late 20s and mid-30s. And I am right there on the lower end of of that bracket. Um, But despite my age, I will be myself among you. And I hope this can be a word for all of us, that, that age does not determine our place in the kingdom. Because I think our, our culture kind of romanticizes youth, and maybe some traditions romanticize the old wise sage. Um, but neither is better or worse in the kingdom of God. All need one another in the kingdom. And so young people can do great things, and older people still have great things left to do. Uh, There's a couple little quips that I came across that I usually roll my eyes at, but I think they actually hold a lot of truth. Uh, One of them was, if you're alive, you can thrive. (laughs) And that's true. Another one put another way, if you're not dead, you're not done. That's true too. And so as a church, may we be a people where young and old together, for the sake of the gospel, join hands. Um, This gospel transcends generations. So despite my age, I will seek to be myself with you. I hope to do this in some ways just as I get up here every week and share words and stories and so on. Um, But but even more so, much more deeply, I hope to do this um, over time by, by spending time with each one of you. Because I think that's the place where we'll be able to go beyond speech and really see into one another's lives. And that's the real gift that we have as a community, the gift of ourselves to one another. I think that's why Paul writes to Timothy, train yourself in godliness. The gift I have to offer you and that we all have to offer one another is the gift of ourselves. And I just want to say, you, you are a gift to this community. You are a gift. The gift of ourselves. And so, because of that, Paul actually commends us to train our own self in godliness. And as a part of this, uh, Paul does say that physical training is of some value. I, I believe that that godliness includes that physical care. Um, that part of training and godliness actually calls us to take care of our bodies um, and to take care of the physical needs of our neighbors. Um, and that's why I love that we have the, the resource of a parish nurse, that we have um, all these different ways that we care for our neighbors through filling bags that we send over to Wildwood, through hosting Wednesday lunches, um, and through other various groups that, that meet in our space. Um, we are providing and, and helping to care for the physical needs of other people, of our neighbors. 
But let us not lose sight that the ways of caring for each other and our neighbors um, are not an end in themselves. Lest we become a social club or a community organization or, as I was saying earlier, just a good church. As we seek to point one another to Jesus, we are tasked not only with physical training, which is, is of some value, um, but also godly training, which is valuable in every way. And I want to point out the word that Paul uses here. He says, train yourself in godliness. He doesn't say perform godliness. He doesn't say compete in godliness. He doesn't say achieve godliness. He says to train in godliness. And the reality is that training implies working towards something that you have not yet achieved. Training is on the way to something. Um, so, so we haven't arrived. Um, and, and if we're honest, as we train in godliness, we will often fall short of it. If, if I'm honest, I, I'm probably going to fail you as a minister at some point. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say something wrong. Who knows what? Um, we are all bound to fail one another in various ways. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nonetheless, may we continue to offer ourselves to one another in both glory and in failure. The only way that we can continue pointing one another to Jesus, even amidst our shortcomings, is to admit them. This is one of the great tasks of being not just a good church, but truly a church of Christ. To be a community of confession who readily admits our failures and yet continues to pursue Jesus, receiving his forgiveness and healing. We talked about this morning in the class. I believe the promise of the gospel is that as we admit and honestly come to know our failures, that we will all the more come to know the glories that God has made us for. And so let us be ourselves with one another, always offering the gift of ourselves to one another. That's my second promise to you. And the third one that I want to share is that as your minister, I will seek for your flourishing in my work. As I point us to Jesus, as I am myself with you, as I fulfill whatever duties I have as a minister, I do all of this for your flourishing and growth. And now, I've said a lot about how a minister is not called to be merely functionary, um, but a whole person in community. Um, and yet, there are some specific tasks that I'm called to as your minister. And Paul writes about these in verse 13. He says to Timothy, Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting and to teaching. And so I'll share a little bit with each of these. Um, 
First, it's my job to open up the scriptures with you. Not to just talk about them, but to really read them together, to savor them. And so we will do this every week, just as we have already this morning. And my hope is that this habit will grow beyond Sunday mornings and begin to weave itself into the fabric of our everyday lives. That as we open Scripture together here, that it would sort of whet our appetite for the good Word of God every day. It is also my job to exhort you. And now, if we're honest, um, we probably don't use the word exhort very often. Um, I, I don't think that I've used it this past week uh, other than that I was reading this scripture and thinking about it. Uh, we don't usually talk about exhorting one another. Um, and so I looked it up, and, and it has at least three meanings. Um, so to exhort means to encourage, to comfort, and to challenge. And so encouraging and comforting, I think both in some ways, are, are a call for me to join you where you are. Um, encouraging your joys, comforting your sorrows. But to challenge, this third one, is not just joining you where you are, but actually pressing you forward to where you ought to be. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, to challenge is challenging. <laughs> That's hard work, um, but it's work that I am called to as your minister, both for you and for your flourishing. Um, and so I pray that, that God would help me to join you in encouragement and comfort and also give me wisdom to challenge both boldly and graciously with kindness. And so finally, what Paul says here is that it, it's my job to teach you. And Paul stresses the importance uh, throughout this passage of sound teaching. And this, again, is for flourishing. There's a wise preacher uh, who's one of my favorite preachers, actually, uh, from the fourth century. His name is John Chrysostom. Um, and he said that sound teaching is useful, but unsound teaching is not only useless, but injurious, causing injury. And so we strive for truth and sound teaching, not just to be right, not to win arguments, not just to be well-educated Christians. Um, we, we strive for this for health, to prevent injury. And so I, I commit to, to the work of, of seeking to give sound teaching. Um, and, and I'm terrified to just say that. Uh, you know, in James, it says that teachers will be judged more strictly than any. Like, I do not take this task lightly in any way. Um, by the grace of God, may truth come <laughs> as we are speaking together here. Um, another piece of advice uh, from John Chrysostom that I hope to follow has to do with the difference between exhorting and teaching. Uh, he, you know, ex exhorting has to do with action, uh, whereas teaching has to do with understanding. And uh, John Chrysostom says that there is a time for each. Uh, he said, in some cases, it is necessary to command, to, to exhort. In other cases, it is necessary to teach. And if you command in cases where teaching is required, you will become ridiculous. And again, if you teach where you ought to command, you are exposed to the same reproach. And so, 
as I embark on this work of ministry with you, um, I pray that God will keep me from becoming ridiculous um, and that I'll have the wisdom to know whether to teach or to exhort and that God's grace will be through it all. And then another way uh, that I'm committed to your flourishing is just by regularly praying for you. That is something that I am wanting to devote myself to during the week. Uh, and, and I'm excited in the coming days as I get to know each of you to learn um, not just the general ways to pray, um, to not just sort of look at a church directory and go, well, I might know who that is, I'm not sure, um, but to really know how I can be praying for you. Um, please share those things um, with me, with the elders. Um, that's our task, to, to pray for you, to care for you. Um, and so at the end of the passage, Paul tells Timothy, regarding all of this work, he says, to continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourselves and your hearers. And so all of this work is for mutual flourishing, for salvation to spread uh, to all. And so I will seek to point us to Jesus, to be myself with you, and to work for your flourishing. In closing, I just want to ask the same of all of you. What does it look like for us to point one another to Jesus? Maybe it means setting down that religious resume and just pressing more deeply into relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you don't really have an impressive religious resume and you feel disqualified. Jesus so desperately wants relationship nonetheless. And as I seek to point us to Jesus, I ask that you would all help me stay on track. Keep reminding me that this is the work that I'm supposed to do. Second question, what does it look like for us to be ourselves with one another? I just want to encourage us to let go of the burden of performing godliness, of competing in godliness, and let's join arms and train for godliness together. That's what we're called to as a community of faith. And as I seek to be myself with you, I, I hope that over time uh, we can all be ourselves with one another, um, that there won't be any secrets, anything hidden. And finally, what does it look like to work for each other's flourishing? Let's be a community who encourages one another, who comforts one another, and who challenges one another with kindness. As I work for your flourishing, I, I ask that you would all work for mine too along the way. Help me to set and keep healthy boundaries that guard my personal time with Christ, growing with Katie, um, as I seek to balance that with the work that I'm doing here. And then beyond working for one another's flourishing, let's also work together for the flourishing of our neighbors, of this region, and yeah, of, of the world because as we've made promises to one another this morning, I believe that Paul's words to Timothy 
are not just for Timothy or even just for me as a minister. I believe they're for us all. That when Paul says, continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That as we continue in these commitments, the salvation of God will come not only to us, but to all that we encounter in our work together as a church and our individual lives. May it be so. Amen.